You're listening to a sermon from Mission City Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas. Mission City Fellowship exists to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ who live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim Christ for the joy of all people. Today's sermon comes from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Lord God, we do come to this time to hear you, to understand you. We're so grateful for your word that speaks so clearly. So Father, during these next few moments, I know it's my voice they're going to be hearing, but Lord, I pray it's your voice that they actually listen to. So Father, teach us. Heal us. Transform us. Convict us, Lord. Have your work among us as you will. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I once heard a preacher make the statement that sometimes the greatest work of Satan against a Christian is not the thoughts that he puts into their heads, but the thoughts he keeps out of their heads. So much, it seems, of Satan's agenda can be advanced when Christ's people don't understand or neglect or don't truly believe all that Christ is and all that he has done and all that he provides for them. The evil one delights in keeping people from seeing the true power and the true provision and the true glory of Christ in the gospel. He would delight, particularly in the, in the context of our sermon series from Psalm 23, if God's people never fully understood what it means that the Lord is our shepherd. He knows that when he can somehow obscure that, if he can somehow blunt that truth, he keeps us from living joyful, faith-filled, obedient lives. He knows that it's so much easier to get us mired and stuck, so to say, in the muck of our own flesh and ingratitude and lack of faith and, and we start whining and complaining instead of truly understanding What a great provision we have been given in Jesus. So Psalm 23, at least it has been for me, has been timely in its ability to help us see very clearly all that Christ is and all that he has done 
and all that Christ provides for us as our great and good shepherd. I hope that's been encouraging to you. I hope this has fed your soul. I hope it has encouraged you to keep looking to your shepherd again and again. Week to week, uh, it just seems like we have this fresh awareness of how much our Savior loves us and how well He cares for us. And in this psalm, we have encountered a Savior who is our shepherd. And we have seen how richly, and we have seen how consistently, and we have seen how expansively He cares for us and continues to care for us. This morning, we conclude our time in Psalm 23. We're going to focus really on the last two verses, verses 5 and 6. And it's important to note here that in these two verses, the image of the Lord changes from that of a shepherd tending his sheep to that of an extravagant host caring for his guests. It has been an amazing thing. Hopefully you have been been amazed as we've considered that one of the primary ways in Scripture, not the only way, but one of the primary ways that the Lord reveals the nature of His relationship to His people is that of a shepherd to the sheep. And that has been so encouraging for us. Now we, we him, He seems to pivot a little bit here, and He's going to talk about how the Lord is also an incredibly extravagant host. The great shepherd has become the great host. The highest qualities of a great shepherd are now combined with the love and extravagance of a host who's spreading a feast before his valued guests. And just as we understand the Lord is the shepherd and we are the sheep in this psalm, so we are to understand that the Lord is the host and we are the guests that have been welcomed at his table. Now, some people try to understand this, and I I spent a couple days actually trying to work through this psalm, uh, this part of the psalm. Some people try to take verses 5 and 6, and they try to continue to connect it in the context of a shepherd's relationship to the sheep. It just seems more likely here that the image just shifts, and he's shifting in order to, to connect his message of the Lord's attentive care directly to humans instead of continuing to talk about sheep. He's trying to drive it home in a more pointed way to where we go from being sheep to being guests. So the image shifts from the joys and the threats of a flock of sheep to that of worn and weary guests who are affirmed and honored by the God himself, by God himself, by his very presence. And he has been welcomed at their table in the face and against all those who might seek to do us harm. So the Lord is no longer just a shepherd. He assumes the role of this loving host, honoring his guests at his table for all the world to see. So we really are able to combine, in in a sense, combine these two images. The Lord is a shepherd and the Lord is our host. He is the great shepherd and he is the good host. And that's what we're going to look at 
this morning. And so first we're going to talk about how our great shepherd is such a great host, how he is such a good host. And there's three things here we want to look at from these verses. Number one, the Lord declares his favor for us. This is how he is being a good host. The Lord declares his favor for us. He says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. To eat at the table in the presence of enemies is to have the Lord, so to say, declare publicly the special relationship he has with that person that he has invited to his table. It points us to a relationship of remarkable depth and of incredible affection. That this person or these people that he has welcomed at his table, these people, are his, he's, he has favor upon them. And the picture here is one of an intimate communion with God himself. This is the great favor that the Lord could do for us. The great shepherd, shepherd host, so to say. The great shepherd host isn't just caring for us. He welcomes us into his heart and he welcomes into his mind as we sit at the table with him. See, to eat at the Lord's table is to enjoy a, a deep level of fellowship and communion with him. That's what he's trying to get at here. What he's trying to, to, to the picture he's painting for us. So again, this, this tells us of an astonishing level of closeness with the Lord God. He welcomes us at his table. Where he opens not just the feast. But he opens his heart. He opens his mind. He opens his life. Sharing a meal with someone. Is not just being welcomed at the table. It's being welcomed into their life. And again this is what the Lord does. And he does this so to say. In front of the watching world. He's saying these guests. I favor them. They belong. I have prepared this feast for them. We are his guests. He is our host at the table. And his hospitality isn't the ultimate end. It isn't the feast he's preparing. The ultimate end is the greater, the greater end of knowing the Lord and walking with the Lord. That is what this is ultimately about. His favor is upon us because we are favored to sit at his table where he is our host and, he, and we are his guests. And he declares in, in welcoming, us, and welcoming us to the table, uh, he declares favor upon our life. Now we're going we're to circle back to this, but let's go on. Because not only does our shepherd host declare his favor for us, he actively bestows that favor on us. We see here, the Lord bestows his great favor on us. You anoint my head with oil. Now, this is an ancient custom. So I'm, I'm pretty sure if, I, if you came to my house and I poured oil on your head, that would probably not be well received. <coughs> Excuse me. But this was a very important, valued custom in the ancient world for guests that were coming. It was a way of treasuring them. It was a way of making them feel welcome. It was a way of, of telling them you're important. Anointing someone's head with oil, with oil was a courtesy, and it was, in a sense, refreshing them after a hot and dusty walk. The oil would have been perfumed, and it would have been perfumed with fragrant like herbs and spices. And all of this, again, was a sign of welcome and respect. It was a way of saying 
You're honored here. I want you here. And these honored guests would often have been weary and worn. And specifically in the context of Psalm 23, they would have been walking in the valley of the shadow of death. So our our Lord, the, the, the great shepherd host, is taking care of us. He is providing for us. He is loving us. He is enduing us with value and honor and importance. That's what's going on here. We matter to the Lord. Oil is also symbolic of joy. Really, it's expressive joy. The shepherd host here is anointing us with oil. That he is anointing us with oil means that he is pouring his joy on us. The joy that he has because of us. I don't know why the Lord finds joy in us, but he does. He is saying, I am so glad you're here. You know, Zephaniah 3 uh, 17 is one of, the, I think, one of the more shocking verses in all of Scripture. It describes the Lord God as actively rejoicing over his people. He is not passively sitting by, he isn't reserved, he isn't stoic. This is an image in Zephaniah 3 of someone filled with joy for his people, and he's so excited he can't help but sing out for them. Listen to what it says. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Think about this, family. That is the kind of passion and delight that the Lord has for his people. He isn't reserved. He is expressive. And when he talks about anointing our head, he's like, I'm just pouring out my love upon you. I'm pouring out my delight upon you. Our great shepherd, our great shepherd who is our great host, he bestows his favor upon us. And third, our shepherd host is extravagant in his favor for us. He's extravagant in his favor for us. My cup, he says, overflows. This isn't just a little bit of the Lord's favor. It is the Lord's favor in abundance. The favor of being at his table keeps coming and coming and coming. It is so much more than what we contain, like a drinking vessel that has been filled beyond capacity. He just keeps pouring and pouring and pouring. This is an extravagant favor that the Lord has for us because we are seated at his table. And he does this specifically in two ways. His extravagant favor is given towards us in two ways. He says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all my days. This overflowing cup, he he moves quickly to say, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all all my days. Now David, who wrote this, had surely known what it was like to be pursued in his life. If you read back to his history, 
to what had taken place, his enemies, and he had had a number of them in his life, his enemies had followed him as he fled from them. He fled sometimes into foreign lands. At other times, he fled into caves trying to hide from those who were trying to do him harm. And these weren't just enemies of his soul. These weren't just people who were, who were irked by him. They were enemies of his existence. They were enemies of his survival. They were enemies of his kingdom. They were people who wanted to end David. Yet in this moment, as David looks back upon those years, David is saying that what moved him and what captured his heart was not their evil pursuit, but it was the pursuit of God's extravagant love and mercy. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. Others may be in pursuit, but there's something stronger, more important that's following me. God's goodness here is, is the word hesed. It means loving kindness. Goodness and loving kindness, it speaks of God's good intention for his people. Basically what David is saying here, what the psalm is saying here is that all my days, all the difficult things that are going on in my life, all the challenges that I face, the Lord intends good for me no matter where I am, no matter what I'm facing. His mercy here, it's also, it could be just, just the love of God that he has, that God always intends to do good for his people. There's never a moment in our life where God is doing anything but what is good for us. I think we have trouble sometimes settling on that, don't we? And really believing that. I know I do. But that is what he's talking about here. He's saying in his life, the pursuit of God's good intention was unrelenting. It was always coming after him. It was always for him. And family, listen, that is God's good intention for us today. It is pursuing you. It is pursuing me. It is pursuing us all day long, all the time. God's goodness and mercy are in pursuit of you, and it's going to find you. You're going to experience it. Because it's dependent upon the Lord. Notice David's confidence here. He says, surely, surely. David's confidence was born out of what he believed about God. It was born out of his doctrine that he held about God. The theology, if you want to call it that, of God. But it was also formed and shaped by what he experienced of God in his life. What he learned and experienced of God when he was out on the hillside taking care of sheep and the dangers that came, came after him and came after the sheep. And he had to protect those sheep. It, it was experienced when he was in Saul's court and, and what was happening there. It was experienced when he was standing before Goliath. He had seen again and again where the loving kindness and mercy of God had pursued him. Surely, surely, he says. May God grant us to be every bit as confident as David is of God's loving kindness and mercy. All the days of our life, extravagant loving kindness and mercy is ours. Where we are, loving kindness and mercy is. Where we go, loving kindness and mercy always, always follows. Then he says this, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
The hope that, it, that is expressed here is to dwell in the house or to dwell in the temple of the Lord. He's not just talking about heaven and eternity. Uh, the temple is a symbol of Yahweh's, of the Lord God's presence with Israel. It is here that God came down in a special way with his people. It is here that they could approach him, knowing they will find him because the Lord said he would meet with them there. The Lord made this happen. The Lord set this up. And David is simply saying, I want to always be with the Lord. I want to always be with God. David wants to be where loving and knowing God is always happening and where being known and loved by God is always happening. You know, Psalm 24, if you read the next psalm, uh, it tells us the temple is the place a prepared people and a mighty God converge in worship. To be present in the temple is to be before God. It is to have access to Him. It is to give ourselves to Him so that He has complete access to us. To be ever dwelling in the temple then means to remain always in God's caring and powerful presence. That is what the Lord, that is what David was excited about. He he was so confident. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. I will be before the Lord forever. This stirs our heart. Listen to what Psalm 73 says. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh, my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me... It is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Listen, it is Christ's atoning sacrifice that makes sure this is always our place, being near the Lord. That is such a distinction between so much of the world religions and so much of what we see where people have to earn their way into the presence of God. They have to do all these right things. And what we're understanding and what Christ has done for us, he did all the right things so that we are always in the presence of the Lord. That's where we live. We come this morning, the singing this morning didn't bring us into the presence of the Lord. We sing because we were in the presence of the Lord. The preaching doesn't bring us into the... We live our life. That's what Christ did. That's why the temple, the the curtain was torn in two in the holies of holies. that, That we might have full, unfettered access to the Father. That we live our lives near Him. And the psalmist was saying it in the Old Testament. And we see the full completion of it through Christ's atoning sacrifice. We draw near not to an earthly temple made with human hands, but we draw near to the throne of God. We draw near that we may receive grace and mercy in the time of need. So Psalm 23 ends describing for us this wonderful picture. There is the spread table, the anointed head. There is the overflowing cup. 
And then we hear of the loving kindness and mercy of God, always in pursuit, and dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. All of this is pointing to a great host, a great host who lavishes honor and care and abundant goodness and protection on his cherished guests. Here's the thing. If you're in Christ, you have a seat at that table. You have a place there. All of these provisions, all of these incredible things are for His people. Because of Christ, He is writing our story, our life, our good, and the wonderful care of a shepherd for a sheep shown in the wonderful care of a host for His guests. All that is just telling us so much of the Lord. So what we're going to do the, the, the rest of this sermon... I'm going to pivot a little bit here. I want to end this series giving you some applications from, from, the, from the whole chapter of what we have learned from Psalm 23. Some things just wanting to, to bring home, I think, as we, as we end this series that has been so encouraging, so helpful. Just a few applications. Number one, identify the false shepherds in our life. We need to identify the false shepherds in our life. So the questions are, where are you turning to have your needs supplied? Who or what are you turning to for green pastures and quiet waters? And what do you hope to find your soul restored? Who and what can keep you on the path of righteousness in your life day after day? Listen, the issue is not whether you're looking to a shepherd. The issue is what shepherd are you looking to? Because all of those things drive us. All of those things are motivations for every human being. We are looking for those things. Where are you finding them? We all turn to someone or something or somewhere. We do it when we, in the heat of this life. We do it because we're looking for direction. We're looking for guidance. We're looking for some way to go forward. Whose voice are you listening to? What direction are you taking in your life? There are a lot of options in this world. And there are a lot of things that would want to be your shepherd, but they are all false shepherds. Only the Lord is the true shepherd. What are some of the false shepherds? It can be all kinds of things. The heart can make a shepherd out of anything, like it can make an idol out of anything. Could be money. Could be driven by money. Could be a lack of money. We think it will secure us. We think it will provide us. It will lead us into calm waters. It will restore our soul. Or a new job. And there's nothing wrong with getting a new job. But if we're placing it, if we're looking to it as if it's going to meet the deepest parts of our life and what, what God created us for in Him, it's a false shepherd. It can be in family. My identity is derived from the people I, I grew up with and the way I was raised. 
It could be a nation. We so identify with our nation that we look to it as if it's going to provide us those quiet streams. As if it's going to provide those green pastures. As if it's going to be able to, to send loving kindness and mercy after us all of our days. It can't. It might offer that. It might present itself like that. But it's a false shepherd. It could be anything like escaping. Escaping has always been a challenge in my life. It, escaping into binge-watching, escaping into some kind of entertainment. When we're doing that, we're actively looking to those things as if it is a shepherd that is going to care for our souls and provide what we need. It's not. It can't. And when we begin to see these false shepherds, it is then that we need to confess, repent, and turn in trust to the Lord. I call those the rhythms of the gospel. Confession, repentance, trust. And I would probably add thanksgiving also to that. That's how we grow. That's how we grow as followers of Christ. We confess our sin. We turn from it. We repent of it. We look to the Lord in faith and trust. And we give grateful thanks to him for all that he has done and how he continues to work in our that's what we want to do here. When you see whatever the false shepherd, and listen, you can still have the Lord as the great shepherd, but you've also cultivated some of these relationships with false shepherds at the same time. And what these end up doing is they end up confusing us about where we really need to return and where we need to turn in the moments of need and just everyday life. In faith, we want to turn from the false shepherds and keep turning and looking to the great shepherd. Two, we each need the great shepherd to be our great host. We each need the great shepherd to be our great host. This is a plea for anyone who does not know what it means for Jesus to be your shepherd. For anyone who does not understand why Jesus came to lay down his life for his sheep. He laid down his life for his sheep not to be a, a moral witness. Not to be an example of bravery. Not just because he loved us, although he did love us. He laid down his life to rescue us from our sin. By bringing us to God. He laid down his life to rescue us from our sin and to rescue us from the coming judgment and wrath of God on that sin. Again, he did this because he loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, would not perish, but would have everlasting life, would have eternal life. What an incredible promise. Jesus rescued us from sin by substituting himself in our place. He took our sin. He didn't just do it in our hearts. He just didn't do it in some spiritual plane. 2,000 years ago, give or take, he literally lived, he literally died, and he was put up on a physical cross. He was put into a literal grave where three days later he was brought from that grave at a specific point in time in history. 
And he did that to rescue us from our sin. Because that's the only way we could be rescued from our sin. It's the only provision that God has ever made to rescue people from sin. It is the only atoning sacrifice there is. What Christ did some 2,000 years ago on the cross, that's it. There's no other atonement. And we're pleading with you, look to Christ. Look away from the shepherds, these false shepherds. Jesus took our place. And he endured our judgment and he suffered our death. And in its place, he gave us his wholeness and his goodness and his righteousness and his life. He did this by substituting himself so that what we deserved, he endured. And what he won for us, we enjoy. You know, there are so many here this morning who confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. And if you're hesitating, if you're uncertain about the gospel message that we're preaching, we understand that. Because a lot of us were hesitant and uncertain at times in our own life. We get that. We understand. And then the Lord worked on our hearts to show us Christ and to show us salvation. And even as he was working on our hearts, he's working on your heart this morning because you're hearing this. Here, one of my favorite songs, Christmas songs from Chris Rice, Welcome to Our World, says this. So wrap our injured flesh around you. Breathe our air walk our sod, rob our sin, and make us holy. Perfect Son of God. Perfect Son of God. Welcome to our world. The great shepherd host is saying to you in this very moment, come to me. Give up your sin. You keep thinking that there's something else that's going to change. You keep thinking you're going to do something better. You keep thinking that something else is going to happen that's going to set it all straight. Only Christ can do that. And he does it at the level of the heart first. Come to him. He will rescue you from your sin. Third application from Psalm 23. <clears throat> we need to apply the truths of our great shepherd host to our past struggles. We need to apply these truths we've been learning from Psalm 23 to what has gone on in our past. We have seen, and it has been, I've just been so encouraged uh, just to hear what a great shepherd Jesus is. And we have mainly focused on living in the light of that truth now and in the days ahead. But, but there is also a need for us to look back over our life and make sure that that truth stamps itself on what we've experienced in the past. I know there are many people who are here who have hurts. Hurts from relationships. People have betrayed you. Hurts from church. When things have just gone sideways and you've been confused by that. We get that. We've all experienced those kinds of hurts. We've all experienced hard things in hard places during hard times. And we need to understand that the Lord was our shepherd in those times, even when we may not have been aware. 
We confess the Lord is our shepherd now over our lives, but we also need to do it over our past experiences. That in those tough times, he was actually there. He was actually caring for us. Let me be just real candid. Right after graduating from seminary, Tara and I moved to Buffalo to pastor a young church that had just formed. We moved into a small apartment where we lived for the next nine years. Those were some of the hardest years of our lives and marriage. Terry suffered through difficult pregnancies that were followed by significant postpartum depression. We were 1,500 miles from family, and we were just beginning to form a church family. Pastoring for the first time brought challenges. Um, we were doing this in a different part of the country with a different culture than what we grew up with. It was hard. And there was so much flesh in our life, and there was so much flesh in our marriage. And those days were so hard that even after we moved out of that apartment to another part, to our, to our first home actually, even after we moved out of that apartment, I resisted ever going back to that neighborhood. I resisted because of all the feelings it evoked and the memories it stirred of those difficult years of my failures of faith and my failures of leadership in the home and even somewhat in the church. A few years before we moved here, back here, the Lord began to deal with me. I was thinking about those years and how hard they were. And the Lord just very gently but very clearly impressed this on my heart. Was I absent in those years? Was I not good? Was I not your shepherd? I've been living with that for decades. I was believing a lie about my past. I realized there was a disconnect between what was in my heart and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It wasn't lining up. Yes, I had made mistakes. And I had lived too often a self-centered life. And because of my lack of faith at times, and my understanding that lacked, so on, I had, I had cut myself off from the sweet comfort of my good shepherd. But he was still there. The Lord was helping me to see that even though I was not faithful to him, he had been faithful to me. He had not turned his back. He had not rejected me. I saw even though I was motivated so often by fleshly religious efforts, he was motivated by grace and love and the new covenant in Christ's blood. His goodness and mercy always has been with me, pursuing me, caring for me. I was just not aware of it. It was one of those works of the evil one. I was full of self instead of faith and hope in Christ. Yet I know now so well that in those hard times, he was there. Family, in your hard times in the past, he was there. And maybe it's time now that we apply what we've been learning about the shepherd backwards, not just present and forwards. 
In confessing this, the Lord began to bring healing and a soothing balm to those memories and feelings. So what is there in your history that you need to confess the Lord is my shepherd over? We all have them. To really begin to see, yeah, you might have screwed up, you might have failed, you might have come short. But he was there. And to look back and say, thank you for sustaining me. Thank you for not, for, for not turning your back on me. Thank you for being patient in my life. I would like to thank if I was back in those times now because of my growth and my faith and what God has done in my life, I would respond very differently. But I didn't. And I can look back at that and just say, thank you, Lord, for covering and caring that even when I wasn't faithful, you remained faithful. Amen. Fourth, finally. Give thanks to the Lord, who is our shepherd, for his many benefits. Give thanks to the Lord, the great shepherd, for all that he has done. You remember back, I think it was like 2000, 2004, somewhere in that, the TV show Extreme Home Makeover? Is that just me? You, you guys remember that show? Basically, it was this television series that usually featured a family that had faced some sort of hardship. And basically, their home would be completely remodeled. Sometimes it would be completely torn down and, re and just rebuilt from the ground up. And ba basically, it was being remodeled or rebuilt to better suit their needs. And so designers and workmen and neighbors, and they would do all this in one week. They would send the family away. They would begin to do the remodeling. And then a week later, they'd bring the family back. And the big finale came, the family was brought back, and they, were, they came out of, a, out, of a, out of a limousine usually in front of a huge bus that blocked their view of their new home. Then that moment would come when the host would say, are you ready to see your new home? Okay, then he'd say, one, two, three, everybody would shout, move that bus, okay? It sounds cheesy now, probably was then too. But I'm telling you, it was always very emotional, though. It was hard not to be moved. And usually what would happen, the bus would move, the family would see their new home, they would start jumping up and down and, and crying and running around. It was just an amazing, an amazing time. Then they would go in and see the house. And here's what always struck me about this, and kind of why I'm telling you or bringing this up. They would go into the house... And they would each go see the room and they would see all the new appliances and new everything and how it was better equipped for them to deal with whatever struggles they were having in the family. But then the host would get them together and he said, but wait, there's more. And usually something like, you know what, your mortgage has been paid off. But wait, there's even more. Your kids have tuition at any college in the state they want. Then they would say, well, wait, wait, there's more. There's two new cars sitting in the driveway. But that isn't all, he would say. All your medical bills have been paid. And it would just go on and on. It would just be like, it just never stopped. Just kept coming and coming and coming. That kind of reminds me of Psalm 23. Instead of move that bus, the Lord is saying, open your eyes to see your shepherd and all the benefits that come to you. 
See how wonderful, how awesome he is. And then we just begin to unfold before us. Not only is the Lord your shepherd, which is enough. We said enough right there. But not only is the Lord your shepherd, you will not want. And not only will you not want, wait, there is more. He makes you lie down in green pastures. And not only that, he's going to lead you beside still waters. But wait, there's more. He restores your soul. But that isn't all either. He leads you in paths of righteousness for his his sake. And not only that, no matter where you are or what you face, you will not fear evil because the great shepherd is with you. Isn't that amazing? But wait, there's more. Christ's rod and staff, they're going to comfort you your whole life. Isn't that amazing? But, but that's still not all. He's going to prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemy, those who would do us harm. But wait, there's still more. He anoints our head with oil and he pours abundant grace on, our, on us so that it overflows in our hearts and minds. And to all that, his loving kindness and mercy will always be with us. We can't escape it. And finally, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Sometimes we just need fresh ways to see these incredible truths. Because the evil one would just assume we never see them. The benefits of the the great shepherd and the, the great host, they're so much better than a new home or a new car. Or paid off mortgage or tuition. So family may... The truths of Psalm 23. May the truth that the Lord is our shepherd. May it bring us comfort and hope as we are pilgrims in a sinful broken world. May it still our hearts with peace against the onslaught of hostile intentions. May it quiet our minds with growing confidence in the Lord God. May it fuel our love for him. May it fuel our love for others. May it strengthen us to walk in humble obedience no matter the cost. And may it fill our mouths with praise to our God and to our Lord and to our Savior who is our great shepherd and our great host. May it fill our hearts certainly as we come to take communion Our great shepherd was the great and final sacrifice for our sin. His death brought us life. And we're coming to this table to remember this. We are united with him in his death. Therefore, we are also united with him in his life. All this is brought front and center for us in the grace of communion. If you would pray with me, please.